I ask everybody to pray this prayer. You just have to say it silently. You don't have to say it out loud. Just give God this prayer from your heart. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you would be glorified and everyone hearing this would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Ted and I have talked a lot. We, every week we'd get together and we'd talk a lot. And it's great to have fresh eyes coming into a church. One of the things that he noticed that I've noticed for years and, and don't talk about enough is uh, we have gotten used to not bringing our Bibles to church. Now, I know some of you bring your phones and you use your gadgets. Uh, one of our elders was saying, I can't even read the Bible out there because the lights aren't bright enough, and so I have to use my phone. I don't care if it's a phone or an iPad, uh, but we, we want you to bring a copy of the Word so that you can follow along. Now, we do the worst thing uh, every Sunday is we put the words up on the screen. That's the worst thing possible because you would say, why do I need to bring it? It's going to be on the screen. Well, I just want us to get in the habit of being people of the book. Um, what, what a, it's kind of a bad look that a whole church would show up and nobody's carrying a Bible. I mean, what does that say? We know that we preach from the word every week. We want you to be opening this every week. This week, I'm going to hammer that home because... You need to not only have, I think, a paper copy of this, but I want to teach you something that I've taught over and over again here, and that's marking your Bible for soul winning, so that you have a way to, to use this to show somebody the gospel that Ted talked about earlier in the thing. The gospel is what we're all about. And so I have a, I've developed a way, it's really simple, it's clear, it's easy, and, but you got to have one of these. And so also, just so you get in practice, it would be a great practice if you bring a paper Bible and you actually have to find those books. We're noticing that more and more, since we're not using the paper book, people just don't know what's in the Old Testament, what's in the New Testament. Is it toward the front or toward the back? And so we're not going to be having Bible drills. You guys remember the Bible drills? I used to have the Bible drills when I was growing up. Go! Uh, but we, we do want you to have an understanding and use of this book. I know that's difficult. When I'm doing a topical study like this, we're going through our mission statement. I'm usually putting out 20, 25 verses during a message. This morning is not going to be that rough, but and it's hard to keep up. So we throw some of them up on the screen, sometimes the main passage, but we want you to get used to using this. So think about it. Pray about it and try to, if you have the ability to kind of bring a written copy, I would encourage you to do that. Not promising, but I might be walking around with some $5 bean-to-go coffee cards. And if I catch people with the Bible, you just might win a prize. Huh? How about that? I learned that from old school Awana, man. You got to give them candy or something. Make it, make it good. All right, let's do that. Let's do that as a church. All right, let's jump in this morning where we're at in the series. We are on the last message of this series called Dive In, Authentic and Relevant Christianity. We've covered passionate about their God, obedient to God's word, dependent on God through prayer, connected to one another. This morning we're covering both of the A and the R, the authentic and relevant in their witness. Authentic and relevant in their witness. The big idea today is an effective witness must be authentic and relevant. So the question is, is it real in you? 
Is it authentic? Authentic means real, genuine, right? Uh, the opposite would be false, fake. We don't want that. It needs to be real. Everybody say real. And then relevant. It needs to be relevant. Sometimes I've heard this saying, and I hate this quote. I understand the quote, but I hate this quote. Somebody once said, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And the mentality is they're so spiritual that they, you know, they just, people don't get it and they can't reach. However, I would argue with the, if you are so heavenly minded, you will be (laughs) earthly good. If we're truly genuinely close to God, then it will be effective in sharing with other people. But I understand the sentiment that sometimes we can be so spiritual that we're not relevant to a lost person who would just have no understanding of what you're talking about or what you're all about. Worse, they'll write you off, right? If you talk to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't understand the church, they're going to say, well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites and they're just, and we get a bad look. And I want to tell you that it doesn't need to be that way. We should be authentic and relevant Christians and with a light to share is what I want to share with you this morning. That's our big idea. What is a witness? We talk about witnessing, evangelizing. What is a witness? Simply put, a witness is one who can give a firsthand account of something seen, heard, or experienced. That's a witness. I just want to know, how many of you here have ever had to be a witness, maybe for to give a police report or to uh, go to court and actually sit and say, how many have ever had to be a witness? Look at that. You know what that means then. To be a witness. That means you have first-hand account of something seen, heard, or experienced. That's what we as believers should have. We should have the answer to the world that's lost and dying without hope. We should have that answer. Because we are witnesses to something in our own lives. Do you have something to share? Do you have a story that talks about how you came to Christ? And then what that means since you've known Christ, how he's changed your life. Do you have a a story? We have a story to share. I've never had to personally sit on the witness stand in a court case. My wife has. Uh, We were both involved in this incident years and years ago. Uh, I was out of college, I was already a youth pastor, but she was still in college, and so I would travel from Battle Creek uh, to Grand Rapids, about an hour drive, and uh, I would see her quite often. We were engaged to be married, and so I was invested, so I would take the trip up, and guys, I'm telling you, when you're in love, you'll do stupid stuff. I broke the caplet in my ankle one year, and I had a stick shift car, so I got there by uh, using my crutch to push the clutch in. And change gears until I got going fast enough. Then I could just speed shift. Didn't even need a clutch, right? But I wasn't going to miss seeing Julie. I didn't care. I was going to get there. And so I got there one time to see Julie. And she was an RA at Cornerstone, like Cole is, uh, which means you're in charge of a section of students. So she was in charge on the second floor of Pickett, um, a bunch of girls there. And uh, I get there, and she's not coming out. The deal is you get there, and you go to the lobby, and you wait, and she's not coming out. But this guy was coming in and out, a man coming in and out of the dorm Guys aren't supposed to be in the halls, but it didn't alarm me because he was carrying um, 
vacuum hoses and a toolbox. And so I'm like, oh, he's a maintenance guy. I'd been gone for two years. Maybe he's. And so he's in and out of the dorm halls and I'm watching him. I'm waiting for Julie. She's not coming. She's not coming. And finally, the guy has all this stuff and he's got his car parked out. And I'm like, do you need help? He says, that'd be great. So I, I grabbed two of his toolboxes and I carried him to his car and put them in his car for him and said, man, have a great day. He's like, thanks for your help. And he left. And as soon as he left, Julie comes out and says, who was that man? I said, he's your maintenance man. She goes, we don't have a maintenance man. I think, I think he's been going through the dorms and stealing stuff out of the girls. Sure enough. He was posing as a maintenance man and filling his toolbox with jewelry and money and stuff. And I helped carry it to his car. <laughs> Julie got called to the stand to be a witness, and I was an accessory to the crime. <laughs> she loves reminding me of that. I thought I was being a good Christian. <laughs> Anyways, being a witness. Have you experienced something that's so vivid that you can tell what you saw, heard, or experienced? There's an accident that's still in my mind. I was 13 years old in southern Indiana. Actually, it was really near, um, cave, uh, what's that cave in Kentucky? Mammoth Cave. Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. I was sitting at a hotel owned by some of my family in the lobby, and I happened to look out, and I see at the intersection uh, a police car is blocking the intersection for a long time. And then he, I watched him get in his car and start to move. But what he didn't see is I could see the ambulance coming. He was there to stop traffic at a busy intersection for the ambulance, but the ambulance was late, and so he moved to let traffic go right before the ambulance come screaming through. And I saw it coming. It's wide open hills, and I could see the ambulance coming, and then I could see this truck coming with a flatbed of hay, big bales of hay, the big round bales, like a dozen of them. And I could just tell, oh, no. He didn't see the ambulance coming. The ambulance thought the road was stopped, and they met right at the intersection. Boom, the ambulance flies through the air, lands on its roof, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> hay flew everywhere. I mean, the sky was raining hay. I can see that as vividly today as the day it happened. What about you as a believer? Are you a witness to the wonderful work that God has done in your life? Are you a witness to that? If something real happened to change you, can you clearly explain to others what happened in you? And that's what this message is all about. Our last topic of our, our purpose statement as a church. First Peter 3, 15 and 16. If you have this one, you can put that on the screen. Don't feel bad if you want to put that one on the screen. If you don't have it, you're okay. But First Peter 3, 15 and 16. This is where I should hear. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And for those of you who are visiting and don't know, uh, the pastor has bad eyes, and so I can't read actually out of this from up here. So I print right from the Word. It is the Word of God, but it is printed in big letters so that I can read it. If it feels better, I'll put it on the Word of God. There we go. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Let's read this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
This is such a great verse for us as believers. Always be prepared. I feel like a Boy Scout. Is that what they do? I feel like a Boy Scout. That's one of their things. Always be prepared. As a believer, are you always prepared? Prepared for what? To give an answer for the hope. Now, my first question would be is who's asking you? If no one's ever asking you why you're different and what's different about you, if no one's ever asking you, then maybe you're not living your faith out so that people would see that there's something. Has, has anybody just randomly come and said, would you pray for me? I believe that believers, bright and salty, the scripture says, we ought to be bright and salty. That means I think the world should be unavoidably seeing something in you and eventually either asking you what is with you. Or knowing that you're a believer, would you pray for me? That ought to be happening. So am I an effective witness is the question that we want to talk about today. I just want to give you quick three qualities of an effective witness. And and these are true for you and me. And so we ought to live these out. Number one, I am called to be a witness. Everybody say called. Let's get over this right away. Some of you might say it's not my spiritual gift. Some of you would say, other people are gifted in evangelism. I'm not. I'm an introvert, so I don't talk to people. That's somebody else's job. Well, I want to make this clear to you. It's all of our jobs. We've been given a command in Scripture to be witnesses, whether you're introverted or extroverted or not. All of us, somebody say all. all. And all means all, that's all all means, right? All of us fall into the category of being a witness because we're called to be a witness. Some of us, you know, could talk to ourselves for an hour and have a great conversation. Other people don't want to talk at all, but we all ought to be a witness of what Christ has done in our own lives and the gospel clarity. Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8. And I'm going to learn to pause so to give you time to find those because you're going to be bringing your own Bibles. Ted said, you got to learn to pause. I don't pause well. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you might be my witnesses. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. And you should be my witness. No, let me try to read that one more time. And you will be, everybody say will be. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love Acts 1.8 that tells you that, number one, we are called, but you will be a witness. You will be, not should be, maybe could be. No, you will be my witnesses. It's not even questioned. You will be. So what kind of a witness are you? Qualify that with, are you an effective witness? Are you a regular witness? Are you a poor witness? Are you a never witness? The Bible's plan is that all of us would share what's happened in our own lives with others around us. We're called to be a witness. You will be my witnesses. So I will be a witness from the moment I'm saved through the Holy Spirit's power. Everybody say power. Good news is it's not in your own power. Let me just tell you that. You've been called, but you've been given the power to be an effective witness. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, I will say the elders told me last Tuesday, when I make a point like this, we haven't explained 
all the gifts of the Spirit, all of the working of the Spirit in the believer's life. So the elders have challenged me this fall to do a series on the Holy Spirit, to tell us as believers what the Holy Spirit actually does and how he works in our lives. So that's coming this fall. Now that I, I stated that, uh, I just make the statements like this, and you might say, well, where's that power? What does it look like? Where's it coming from? All those kind of questions. But the Bible tells us in Acts 1.8, I will be a witness from the moment I'm saved, through the Holy Spirit's power. And it's actually usually those who are just newly saved that are the best witnesses. The newly saved person is like, I want to tell everybody. I want to share with people. It's, it's usually the older and the more crusted over we get that we somehow get jaded and forget, right? And, and, and aren't, you know, but boy, you get around somebody that's a new believer, have you ever been around somebody that God rescued and, and they've got a rescue story and they just can't wait to tell people about it? Well, that's what this verse is telling us. We're called and we're given the Holy Spirit's power. Dynamos, dynamos, it's the word we get dynamite from. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. We have that power to be witnesses. Two. I must live out my faith so that people will see the light of Jesus in me. Everybody say live. Everybody say see. The second point is, is that I must live out my faith so people will see the light of Jesus in me. Matthew 5 is a great portion. Turn your Bibles or get a gadget. There are Bibles in the baskets underneath some of the pews too if you wanted to go there. Matthew 5. 14 through 16. It's the first half of the bright and salty passage. I'm just covering the bright part today. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds And glorify your Father in heaven. Light of the world. You are the light of the world. Do you remember our light from last week? This is our light from last week. We were talking about the Holy Spirit's power in the church and how you need to be connected. I'm using the light today. And if you would, just kind of turn down the house lights. Just get rid of all the house lights. See, a light is a beautiful thing. The light has a mission. We have a mission statement. We're going through it as a church. But a light bulb has a mission statement. And that is, stamp out darkness everywhere I go. That's what a light bulb does. They show up in the darkness and they make the darkness flee. That's what a light bulb does. When a light bulb is born, it is taught by its light bulb parents, you shall go forth and be bright in the darkness. The problem is, sometimes we as a church, I'm going to come back to that. We look more like the Menards light section. I've used this illustration before because to this day, every time I drive past a Menards at night, I can't help but to say out loud, aww. And the reason is, is because you can see through those windows. See those windows there? There's thousands of light bulbs all shining in the same light department. And none of them are fulfilling their personal mission statement. 
Can you imagine being told since the time you were born that you're going to shine in darkness and instead you're put in a room with thousands of other lights shining where it's not needed? It's superfluous. It's, it's not needed. It's not doing its job to show you a better close-up picture. That's it. There they are. Look at all those light bulbs born to dispel darkness, born to make darkness flee, and they're all stuck shining together in the same room. That's why I drive by Menards at night and I go, aww. I just want to pull in and go buy one bulb and set it free. I just want to go in there and say, I need to set you free, light bulb. I want to take you into a dark recess somewhere and turn you on so you can go, you can turn the lights on back in the back again. I'll leave this light on too. That's, that's us. According to scripture, the illustration of being a witness is to be a light. And it's even said a light is something that can't be hidden. It's, it's, it's like a city on a hill. Last night coming home from a wedding reception out in the country, we, you could easily just look to the sky and see where Lake Orion was because the light's in the sky. And then I looked over and I said, well, that must be Auburn Hills. Because all that light coming from those cities, you can't hide it. It just shows. And the Bible says we are the light of the world. But our light was meant to shine in darkness. (laughs) Our light was meant to, to go into the world and show them Jesus What good is it if our light shines only inside these four walls? We're like Menards. We're all like light bulbs at Menards saying, well, here we are, bright people. For what end? There's no darkness in this room. Our light should shine for a purpose. Again, I always share this. I grew up, and I'm not picking on this song. If you, if you love this song and this breaks your heart, then just forgive me ahead of time. But the old children's song we used to sing in Sunday school, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I love that song, but when I started preaching this message, I realized how pathetic it was. I mean, we're teaching our children to sing this song about our little light. And, and what did we do? The first, the first verse, don't let Satan it out. Huh. <laughs> Hide it under a bush. Oh no. I mean, it's kind of a pathetic song because it's all about this little white. This little white of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. If Satan don't, or if I don't. <laughs> it's kind of a sad song. I would like to change the song. It's kind of taken on a little bit in youth groups across the country, but it would be awesome if we taught our children this new version. All right, kids, let's stand and sing. This blazing fire of ours, we're going to burn it down. I mean, I mean, we have power. Somebody say power. power. The power of the Holy Spirit's in the light for the dark world. And we shouldn't hide that light. We shouldn't hoard that light into a only believers gatherings. I mean, we need to let our light shine, the Bible says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
But you're saying, what good deeds? We shouldn't be just showing off our good deeds. Well, the the Bible actually tells us it's very important for the world to see it in action. What the world needs most is to see authentic and relevant Christians living out their faith. I'll go back now to that last statement I wanted to share with you. People will see how I live before they hear what I say. Number one, you're called to witness. Number two, you should live it out. Simply live out your faith so that the world can't avoid but to see. Is the world seeing Christ in you? It's difficult. It can be hard. It can be in in ways that seems so simple. Maybe you're at work and you're not joining in on the gossip. You're not bashing the, the boss or the company. And you just, you're different. You're different. I work in a church, so, I mean, Melissa's not cussing and swearing all day long around the house here. I mean, you know, uh, it's a pretty easy environment. My wife works out in the world. And my wife tells me all the time, she's like, I don't know what's these people. What's with these people? I'll walk in and they'll say, shh, Julie's here. Don't swear. And I'm like, Julie, that's it. That's it. I mean, you didn't tell them that. Somebody else has told Why? Because they know that you're a light. And their darkness is pretty evident because your light shines. Are, are, are you living that way so that people around you are like, oh, they're different. They live by a different set of standards and they, they have a faith. That's what, if anything you can get today, point one and point two is, is, is critical that you're called to be a witness, and that how you live is very important. Because how you live either sets up sharing the gospel or it destroys sharing the gospel. Because if you're a Christian and you're at work and there is no difference, then you might be a bad example. We don't want that. We don't want you to... You shouldn't go into the world and be like the world, right? You don't go to the darkness to be darkness. You should be light at all times. And it should make a difference. People should see it and then want to know about it. And they should even be asking you. The Bible says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks. Who's asking? Most likely they won't ask unless they're seeing something so relevant, so authentic, that they want to know about it. So be a light by how you live. Now that would be it. That would be great. We could walk away and have a good message today. But I can't leave you without the third point, which is critical. The third point is simply this. I should be able to clearly communicate the gospel. Uh Uh-oh, there's the rub. You mean I actually have to talk about it? Yeah. So many Christians get comfortable with the idea, okay, I'll be a witness, I'll just be good, I'll just be nice, and that's my job. I'm not a talker, I'm not a, a preacher. The pastor should do that. No, each believer should understand their calling. They should live it out. And then they should be able to clearly communicate it. Clearly communicate it. Are you able to talk with somebody like, oh, that makes me scared to death. Are you preparing then? Are you making a plan? Are you getting yourself ready? Because we ought to be able to communicate. Acts 4, I'm going to read verses 18 through 20 actually. Acts 4, 18 through 20. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach At all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They couldn't help themselves. 
Even when the authority was saying, you can't do that. We don't want you to talk about Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. Put me in jail. I can't help but to share the good news. That's what Peter and John were saying. We're going to obey God in this one. As believers, that's what we need to be doing. Sharing the good news. And we ought to be able to communicate it verbally. That's why I want to say this. There must be a verbal witness. There needs to be a verbal witness. You understanding your calling and then living it out, that's prepping. That's prepping for the word to be spoken. What does the Bible say about that? Romans 10, 14. Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? The Bible makes it very clear. People get saved through the word of God. It's God's word that will save people. Again, I don't mind the tools we use, the wordless bracelet. There's all sorts of things. I mean, you know, Zondervan will sell you testaments, you know, breath mints to share the gospel. I don't know. There's so many things in our culture today. But let me just tell you, nobody gets saved from a gospel bracelet. Nobody gets saved from a testament. You get saved through the word of God. That's why I want to emphasize this, why I took today. Ted's like, I can't believe he's already attacking that Bible thing, you know. Well, it's because you need to be people of this book. You need to be able to use this book. If somebody is coming and asking you a life and death question, you ought to speak on authority. Not I think so, but God says so. So if somebody is coming to you and they want to know, how can I go to heaven? Don't just guess them to it. Give them, oops, give them God's exact words. The Bible says it will not, this powerful living thing will not come back void. People need to hear this. So you might live out your faith and be a good witness physically, but if it comes time to share verbally, are you equipped? I believe every Christian ought to be equipped. I've shared this with you before, but this comes from a moment in my history when I was a young teenager and we had a vacation Bible school at our church. There was a thousand children. It was crazy. We had, you know, 10 big school buses that would go out and pick up kids. So our church had a thousand kids at a VBS and my dad was in charge. He, he ran this VBS and they gave an invitation for kids to get saved and hundreds of kids wanted to get saved. And my dad was scrambling. And I remember him looking at me and saying, Johnny, get over here. And he gave me two boys, the little guys. He's like, take these two kids and get them saved. And I remember I went to the basement of the church and they had a bunch of refrigerator cardboard cut out so that there were all these little separated little areas with chairs in it that you could sit down and talk to people. And I put these two boys in chairs and I sat there and I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to say. I was clueless and it was awful. I never want to feel that feeling again. There's just two little boys. I can still picture their big eyes looking at me like, tell me how to go to heaven. I'm like, I have no clue. I don't know. I'm going. I know I'm going. I think I'm going, but I hope you get there. I don't know. Isn't that pathetic? We claim to have the answer, the only answer, by the way, to salvation, and yet we can't clearly, can't clearly express it. How can we know that we're saved if we don't understand exactly how it all takes place? That put me on a pursuit of clarity. 
and I probably will make this my first book, but facts, faith, forgiveness, three F's. I think it's facts, faith, forgiveness. The facts come out of this book, but you must have faith in those facts. And then you must ask God to forgive you of your sins because without forgiving of sins, there's no remission. So you got to confess your sins. Facts, faith, forgiveness. There's so many tools out there that I want you to know that you can be an effective witness. We're not shy in this. There's apps. Uh, actually, if any of you write apps, if there's an app producer, I would love to take my facts, faith, and forgiveness and turn it into an app that people could use on their phones because we do have those everywhere we go. Somebody might ask you in Starbucks and you didn't bring your paper copy and so you, do you have something? I have an app on my phone to clearly share the gospel. If I need to, in a pinch, I could go to my app and sh- clearly show people. But my favorite is marking your Bible. Can I do this just for one second before we close? On the printed notes, on the very back, I put a copy of these again. I think it's also on the website, our church website. It's called Marking Your Bible for Effective Witnessing. And it's really simple, but it's something I just want to show you that you can do today so that you have something in your hands that you could use effectively. If you turn to the first blank page in my Bible... What do you see there? Revelation? And, and a page number. On the first blank page in all of my Bibles, I write down the scripture reference that is all marked on that sheet. And then I go to that scripture in the Bible, and I find what page it's on in that Bible. And then I write on the first blank page in my Bible, what... What's the first verse I want to take somebody to to share the gospel? And what page is it on? You say, Pastor, you know where the books are. Yeah, but if you're witnessing, sometimes you get really nervous and, and books hide. You know, it's amazing where Romans hides when you're like really want to find it. You know, And so you're in front of somebody like, I know it's in here. I know, I'm sorry, it's in here somewhere. So I don't even chance it. I've been in this book for a long time and I know where everything's at. Genesis, I got all the Bible. But... When I witness, I want to make sure that there's no confusion, make it really easy. So if somebody walks in my office this week, a gentleman came in off the street, you know, and and right away I'm thinking, well, he's probably looking for money. This guy wasn't looking for money. He needed to talk. And we sat in my office and talked for about 20 minutes. And I want to make sure that if that happens, I don't have to refresh my memory. I don't, I just pick up the nearest Bible in my office, turn to the first blank page, and it says, we're going to start in this passage, and it's on this page. And then what I do is go to that page that that first verse is on. Let me just get there. Oh, let's find one. When I get to that passage, I highlight it. So the first blank page in my Bible tells me what verse to start on. I go to there and I highlight that. Then at the top of that page, I write the next verse that I'm going to go to. I go to that thing and I highlight that verse and I go and write down the page number back here. So I never have to remember where I'm going next. The Bible just leads me there. My first blank page tells me where to start. I share that verse with them and the verse clearly teaches itself like Romans 3, 23, for All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do you think I want to explain to them on that verse? All have sinned and 
fall short of the glory of God. The, the verses speak for themselves, people. You don't have to be a brilliant theologian. But I had to find that, right? So I go to the first blank page, write it down, write the page number, go right there. It's highlighted. I read that verse, explain it. Oh, no, what's next? Oh, that's easy. It's right at the top of this page. The next verse, I go there, share that verse with them. On top of that page, the next verse is ready until I can walk through my Bible showing them God's word so that they can see it and hear it and understand it. I think it's brilliant. The first time that we shared this principle, we taught 200 students at Cornerstone. Two kids got saved. <laughs> we, were, we were sharing how to share the gospel. And after sharing it, two kids says, I've never done that. <laughs> and they got saved that night. Not because we weren't even trying. We thought we were practicing with Christians. And it became so clear by sharing the verses they didn't have it. They needed it. This is good. It's, it's one tool. I'm not saying it's the only tool. Maybe you have your own tool. But if you don't have this, this sheet of paper tells you which verses to go to, and it tells you what the verse is about right next to it. You just need a highlighter and a pen, and you can get this done in about 15 minutes, and always be prepared. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want that? I would have been thrilled that day I was a teenager to have that tool when these two little boys are looking at me and wanting to know. I would have been thrilled to be able to open this book and share from them what God has to say about how they can be saved. I pray that for you. We are the light of the world. Let's be bright. We're also the salt of this earth. Let's be salty. Bright and salty, authentic and relevant. Tracy, go ahead and bring your team up. I'm going to close and pray. I pray that you will heed this, think about it, talk about it, prepare yourself. If we can help you in any way, let us know. From time to time, we do evangelism courses here at Oakwood. But we believe we ought to be people that are sharing the good news so that others could know. Years ago, I had a good friend who died of cancer. Steve Otto. Steve suffered with cancer and went through treatment. We prayed for Steve. And for a while, Steve was miraculously healed. But I was there when Steve died. I got called. I was in Chicago on a missions trip. And I got called, and it was the secretary of the church. And she said, uh, you, you, you probably need to get home. Steve's not going to be here. And he's called, he wants you to come see him before he dies. I took one of the students and we left at three in the afternoon in Chicago, drove all the way to Battle Creek, and I walked into a hospital bed and to see Steve on his last moments, surrounded by his wife and three daughters. And I'll never forget that. I went and prayed by his bedside for him and his family. And I remember walking out thinking, cancer is such an awful thing. And I don't know if it was a God thing or what, but I started thinking, why can't we find the cure for cancer? And that led my mind to go, I wonder if they already have found the cure of cancer, but they're not doing it because they're waiting to bottle it and sell it and make sure they make money off it. That's my cynical side. <laughs> then I thought, I started getting angry as I'm driving away, seeing my friend for the last time because of this terrible thing. I thought, wouldn't it be awful if somebody had the answer and they just didn't share it? And it was almost like God said, you guys do that every day. 
As awful as it would be if somebody discovered the cure for cancer and they held on it for five years until they could market it perfectly and receive all the money for it and all those people died, as rotten as that is, we claim to have the only answer for an eternity in heaven, for salvation. We claim to have that. I can't imagine us not sharing it. Let's pray. Father, help us be bright and salty. Help us to understand that we're called. Help us to live it out so that people will ask us and then help us, God, to be able to clearly share your gospel. The facts, faith and forgiveness that you give us in your word, your plan, so that people might have eternal life. God, I pray that we'd be effective in Jesus' name, amen.